Today's reading is Exodus 1, 8 through 2, 10. It can be found on your screen. This is God's word. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous and, if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pitham and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him, but if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave his order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered and the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for him, for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Our heavenly God, we come to this time with a variety of experiences 
and moods and celebrations or troubles in our life. The great leveler of this is that we are all imperfect and that as we look to you or as we consider what is most important in life, we find that we fall short, even of the ideals we set for ourselves, let alone that which we find you want from us, that which we are created to embody. We're all more of a mess than we care to admit. And your story in scripture keeps reminding us that even though that's true, you move towards us with grace so that we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever imagined. So this combination of, of just being real about our failure, our short shortfall, and being surprised by the grace and hope that you pour into that, that condition we find ourselves in. May, may that message come alive for us as we listen to Exodus chapter 1 and 2 this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, asking for your Holy Spirit's help. Amen. <clears throat> so, friends, it's good to see all of you. If you are unfamiliar at all with the book of Genesis, and especially how it ends, I would highly recommend going in and at the very least reading the Joseph narratives towards the end of, of that sometime soon as we look at this. Because I can't give you the full context for this, but definitely what has just happened at the end of Exodus is really a kind of warm, feel-good, happy ending where this group of people that you're following, this, uh, you know, the, this unlikely underdog people is, is, is kind of growing. And now there's these 12 brothers, sons of Jacob. And, and then eventually we find out it's about 70 people in there. Um, they're moving down to Egypt and it's a feel good uh, reunion where they find out that they have a friend in power under Joseph and they are saved from a drought and it looks good for them as this sort of protected people in a fertile land. Well, the curtain opens to Exodus and it's very different. Now we have a brutal racist enslavement of the Hebrew people. And we find out later 400 years and our minds wanna to go to all kinds of places uh, being part of a nation that has had this track record of starting with a brutal racist slave trade 400 years ago. Our minds go to all kinds of places. We want this to be about all kinds of different things, and that's all fine and good, but the text itself wants to deliberately focus us and take us from all our rabbit trails of where we want to say this, this message needs to go, and it takes us to this basic message. It's, it's very clear as you read this text, if you really listen to what it's saying, it goes like this. The growth of oppression, the escalation, the growth of this oppression cannot keep up with the fertile growth of this Hebrew people. That is the anomaly of this text. That is the beauty, the amazement of this text. I have a, I have a water valve in this new house that I moved into and it started to break. And so as a plastic handle and as I crank down on it, now what it does is I need to fix it. Um, it, it is, as I crank down on it, it starts shooting out more out of kind of the, the valve itself. The harder I crank, the more I'm breaking it, it seems, the, the less it's being effective. 
So I had to find the master shutoff valve to it. And that's Pharaoh's experience in this text. And this is unusual for him. He's, I'm sure he's just absolutely baffled by this dynamic. The more I flex my power on these people, the more ineffective it seems to be. And of course, we know, and we need to stop and consider this for ourselves today. We know that there is a greater power invisibly at work here. There is a, he, Pharaoh hasn't had to deal with this other greater power before. He can't really see it. He probably second guesses that there really is a power out there. He thinks maybe I just need to crank harder, but as he does each time, he's baffled again. How does that apply to us in our world today, that there's a greater power at work invisibly? Well, so Pharaoh, for Pharaoh, it means, hey, I'm going to throw enslavement at these people. That doesn't work. It keeps growing. I'm going to throw these midwives at them. What a horrific uh, task he gives to midwives who are bringers of life into the world. Um, go ahead and choke the baby boys that come out. Um, and then finally, that doesn't work. He's foiled by these women, these humble women servants. Finally, he's, he does what leaders do, and he, he makes it a legal issue. All baby boys born to the Hebrews are thrown into the Nile. This is a plan you might expect to come from your pest exterminator when talking about termites or rats in your property. But no, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about human life. So that you end up in the situation where young Hebrew couples are starting their young new life together, some of you. Um, a couple of you out there I see on the screens are in maybe in that position. And these young couples are starting their life together and then the pregnancy happens and they enter into terror-filled days. Not just days, but nine months of tear-filled prayers, praying to God, dear God, please let it be a girl. And surely Pharaoh thinks, all right, now I've screwed it down tight enough. Surely this level of diabolical evil and injustice will snuff out any last hope of the Hebrews. Nope. Quite the opposite. In fact, if you think about it, Moses couldn't have happened and come in to be their leader in the way he did, unless Pharaoh makes that legal order. None of the plan of Moses's mom would have even happened. That would have landed Moses in the courts of the king, learning the ways of power and becoming a leader of his people. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself here. But what Pharaoh does causes the conditions for a rescuer to arrive on the scene for what we're calling hope in a basket. Basket, a hope. Two members of the Hebrew priestly class are in great mourning as they find out that this baby born to them is not a girl, a healthy baby boy. And so what they have before them, they are not handed a birth certificate, they are handed a death sentence. 
But very quickly, it's not long before we are given a word of hope, a keyword that the Hebrew reader or listener would have wondered about. Would have sound like, where have I heard that before? Tevat, ark. There's another time when someone was told to get in an ark in the water and to cover it with tar and pitch to get inside. Well, in that time, it was Noah. And that was another time where there was a, a, a chapter that was about to begin, a new chapter in the renewal project, the, the rescue operation of God in his world. And so, like a Hollywood twist, like when the protagonist in a movie or a show you're watching has, a, has this crazy idea and you're like, uh, you know, they're, they're cornered, they're, they're hemmed in, there's no way out, but then somebody says, I have a plan. And what do you know? I mean, it's just an elegant, incredible, the, the only way it seems to get out of this jam and it's perfect and it works. And this is what we read here with Moses's mother and his sister and the woman, the daughter of Pharaoh. It's a story about God doing incredibly great things for the salvation of his people through some humble women. So she has this plan and the irony is, I mean, it's so filled with irony, friends. The boy meant to be killed gets protection from the household that put forth the order that he should be killed. And the mother of that should be dead baby is hired to keep him alive by nursing him. And the layers continue because you caught that word hired. She is paid. She is a slave people for Pharaoh, but she's pulled out to be paid to do this work of nurturing the, the resistance leader from the household of the one they would resist. The money in Pharaoh's coffers that should have been sent and spent on his annihilation and his dropping him in the Nile is instead spent on raising him by his mother's own milk. I love it. I can't even, I can't even contain my excitement for the irony. And this is, this is the way Old Testament narrative, this is the way it is written. These kinds of things happen so frequently if you are a student of the Old Testament. So Pharaoh, the summary is, he is ratcheting up the oppression to unbelievable levels. And guess what? All it does is multiplies the people he's trying to oppress and brings about the circumstances for the perfect priestly leader to lead those people. Hope in a basket. Hope for their future. Someone sent from God a rescue plan for a new chapter in God's renewal operation. Friends, let me just wrap up by saying this. There are things in our world today that you come with that are overwhelming. Many of you are overwhelmed or have felt very overwhelmed in the last five months. You thought there wasn't another thing that could happen than wildfires. You thought there was another thing that could happen. Then you, then you need not just one mask to go outside, but you need like practically four or five of them on, not just to block the germs, but the smoke that's suffocating us and keeping you even more tightly indoors. 
and all the other stuff that's out there, the suffocating fire, smoke, politics, injustice, it's all there. Have you lost hope? Remember that against all odds, God's hope, God's rescue comes. And in fact, it flourishes even as you lose your last shred of reasonable hope. It doesn't matter. God's not waiting for you to have enough faith that he's at work. His rescue operation continues. And it's in time like this that we know as a church, as the followers of Jesus, whether you call yourself that or not, this is what church, this is what Christians are taught to do. In times like this, we look towards Jesus and we look towards the cross where we find the leaders of Jesus's day ratcheting up the oppression and violence to try to snuff Jesus out, unaware that right there in the violence that brings Jesus to his death is the very forgiveness offered to them through the sacrifice of the spotless lamb. Unbelievable irony that mirrors the irony of the arrival of Moses because Jesus is the new and definitive Moses that the church today looks to and says, there's an empty tomb. There's another story of humble women witnessing un just unbelievable, incredible new hope amidst the machinations of this world's powers and the natural disasters that surround us. Friends, in times like this, the church knows where to look. Where are you looking? Let's take 30 seconds to just consider what God is saying to you in this time. I'll share my screen with a few questions that you can consider now, but also jot something down or, or consider them later in the day or the week. Friends, let's pray. Our God of grace, help this message to find its way deep into our hearts. And may its roots go deep. May we find that we are able, even in times that feel like impossible for growth to happen, may we find that your Holy Spirit brings a fruitful harvest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.